Welcome to the Deerfields Family Theater Podcast. In this episode, I had the privilege and honor to speak with April Sigmund Marks, director of DFT's TYA's Fancy Nancy the Musical. Speaking of Fancy Nancy the Musical, in case you're tuning in and didn't already know, DFT's very first Theater for Young Audiences, or TYA, is putting on a performance of Fancy Nancy the Musical this August of 2023. And performances start Thursday, August 3rd through Sunday, August 6th. Visit DeerfieldTheater.com and get your tickets. Without further delay, here's the interview. April Sigmund Marks, director of DFT TYA's Fancy Nancy the Musical, welcome to the DFT podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. So I, I always love interviewing everyone involved with a show. But I've really come to love these director interviews for the podcast because you're the visionaries, you know, behind what <laughs> we're all going to go and and see. And even though this is like we and we've interviewed on the show Danny Abosh, who wrote the lyrics and the music, but the director will do their own version of the show. And so I'm just I'm so excited to have you. And without spoiling anything, I mean, you know, there's kids, there's parents listening. Like, like tell us about your vision. Oh, gosh. You know, for me, I was very inspired by the children in my own life that it just so happened that as I was meeting this play again this year, because I am familiar with the show and with Fancy Nancy and, you know, is an iconic character, known this character for a long time. I A lot of the kids in my life were graduating from picture books to chapter books. And I was really taken in the way that in that in between bridging that gap, they were really connecting deeply to graphic novels and having that visual medium along with the the text and the language medium coming together to create a world. Because for for them, making that step from I see the pictures and you're reading this book to me to now I'm reading this book myself with just words felt like as a technology native, a little bit too much. They're just a little bit more used to visual storytelling mediums. So this really bridged the gap in such a lovely way. And I was like, wow, what? And like a very clear picture of what it means to grow up and to move, like to be standing on the threshold of like little kid to big kid. And that's where my inspiration came from. And I immediately was like, what if this entire show takes place in Nancy's imagination as if she has dove into the book of Fancy Nancy? And, you know, there are chapter books. So like, what if she's, she's moving from the children's book to the chapter book? What if this in-between in her mind is the graphic novel in-between that she's creating herself? What would and what would happen if she stepped into that world? So because it's in her imagination, as as you may know, if you have spent any time around children, that in the child's imagination, so many things are possible that the laws of nature don't necessarily have to apply. So we are we're implementing that in ways in our story. So things are are bigger. They're more colorful. There's room for immense curiosity and deep exploration and awe and inspiration to happen at a different moments. So that's that's the vision where we're taking for the show. So it's a, like Nancy in the production itself, it's growing up a little bit. That is that is fantastic. So even though I'm on the board, like this is also the first time I'm learning about that exact vision because like my level of involvement is the podcast and like what show we're going to do next year. <laughs> but 
But this this that's that's so exciting for me. And I just I was just one of the the board members who did the table at the farmers market in Deerfield. And parents were so excited that we were going to have Fancy Nancy. And, like, I almost wish I would have known, like, that <laughs> so I could tell them, like, even more reasons to be excited. That's so that's so that's so interesting. And I, I like and because really, like, we should tell, like, let's tell the audience, like, what is like theater for young audiences? And what's the difference between like that and and children's theater and like what kids get out of it and what age is appropriate? Because we did get those questions, too, at the farmer's market. You know, I get this question a lot. I have a pretty deep background in working with youth, and I'm very passionate about creating our our next performers and patrons, as I like to say. So that happens with kids and, and exposing kids to theater at a young age. I always tell folks that to think about children's theater and TYA, or Theater for Young Audiences, in two ways. That children's theater is often for kids by kids, whereas Theater for Young Audiences is adult performing for kids. So our cast, although Nancy is a child and written out a child, is played by an adult. So these are all, all of the actors are adults performing for young people. Now, in terms of what age is the right age to begin, no one can make that decision except the parent, right? Because you know if your three-year-old is ready to come and see a show. I say if you're unsure, Four and five is usually the age where kids can start to sit for longer periods of time. But the thing that I love about theater for young audiences is that we encourage participation. Whereas in some other theater houses, there is this idea that you you as the audience are just silent observers. That when it comes to TYA, I want my kids to jump up and dance and I want them to interact with the, the characters and the actors. And we build that into the show so that it is not something where the kids have to sit and be quiet, but yet they can just be their full selves, have that experience of being swept away in a moment in this world of Nancy and her imagination and experience it with the fullness of what it means to be a child, which means that there are going to be movement and reactions and gasp and look, mom, look at what they have. Look, it's Nancy, right? So that's encouraged. So I think that with that in mind, that parents may choose to bring a younger child to the show knowing like, hey, there's no perfect way to be an audience member and that the the perfect way to do it is to come. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think like my two and a half year old, you know, we're very cognizant about like screen time and stuff. Right. But she is able to sit through all of a Studio Ghibli film like Kiki's Delivery mm-hmm. Service, which is for mm-hmm. like kids. And that's like almost 90 minutes. And so I feel like a 45 minute show, which is approximately the run length. Right. Yeah. Approximately 45 minutes. I think she's going to, you know, even at a young age, I think she'll really be able to to do it. And while some of the, you know, chapter book stuff is might be lost on her, that just means we could go see it again. You know, when when, you know, like when she's a little older. Right. And and there's always you always gain something more from reconsuming even the same the same story. So so I think even even my kid, because that's yeah, it's like how old? Well, I mean, kind of any age, you know, maybe. Yeah. So. Any age where a child would enjoy hearing music, seeing dancing, being a part of a story, interacting with characters and, you know, being swept away. I mean, the thing that I love about theater 
as opposed to TV and film, which I work in both. But that it has been proven that audiences' heartbeats sink when they go to the theater. So to me, that means that we are all connected in this moment on this journey together. And where else in the world do we have those opportunities, especially today, when, you know, in a post-COVID world that we've been driven further and further apart, that this is a time for us to come together and for kids to get to have that and to be around other kids and adults, all ages, and have that experience. I mean, what a beautiful thing. Yeah, I mean, my my mind went to the pandemic as well because my kid is a COVID baby. I mean, she was, mm-hmm. you know, created and born into this pandemic world. And for all other kids, you know, that are like that, or even if they were older and they just couldn't be in school for a couple of years, like this, like going back to live theater is one of those opportunities to be in sync and be there with other people. So it's such a great, such a great opportunity. And that begs the question then, April, which is, you know, what being in this world that you're in, like, what was your pandemic experience like? Oof. Oof, okay. Well, I was actually in the midst of opening up a theater community or a theater company training program and artistic community here in Chicago. We were supposed to open our doors in May of 2020. We all know what that looks like. And so we had to pivot and immediately went like, is this even something that is necessary? And can we do this in a way that doesn't feel like we're trying to fit a round peg into a square hole? Uh, try to make something happen that wasn't created for a virtual space. So we took some time to really consider and we pivoted and moved forward and opened what is now Thumbprint Studios. Actually, the music director of Fancy Nancy, Jaina Alexander, is my co-conspirator on that. So we, from the jump, from the very beginning, started making virtual theater, meaning we are using technology, but exploring what that means in a live performance setting. And what does it mean to teach classes in a virtual space? What does it mean to create art in a virtual space? I loved it because I was like, how many things, like how often do artists get to go? We're working with something that has never happened before, ever. Like this is something brand new. And so how do we make this up? How do we how do we make this a brand new thing, a brand new medium of, of live theater happening virtually? And started playing with with cameras and camera angles and and how do we create a performance space? What is a performance space? If I if I'm crouched under my desk, is that like the cave in you know Rover the Bear where we're we're now like taking place here and using getting creative with with lights and a blanket? Like can I make this feel like a, a space where we're swept away and where we can still come together and connect? And there were so many people I got to work with across the world that I normally wouldn't have gotten to to work with. So it was in some ways like incredibly isolating, but in other ways, incredibly stimulating for me personally as an artist, because I just went, all right, let's keep creating. I can't not create. So that's something that happened. And now that we're coming back into in-person spaces, it just has made it even more amazing. Like getting to, to hug people, and, you know, I first started coming back in, in 21 and we were still having to keep distance, wear masks. But now that we're in a place where we're cognizant, we're mindful, but yet we can we can be in conversation in person and work with those nuances that maybe you aren't picking up in a virtual space. Like getting back to it is just like coming home. Yeah, that is such an incredibly 
positive and optimistic like view on and ex, on ex, and experiences with with the pandemic and i'm i'm so pleased to hear that to uh, to echo another uh like I, I can't think of the word like mantra or axiom of another type of performing arts improv you really yes anded the pandemic mm-hmm. and just went with it and and it sounds like it, it ended up going really well yeah, I was just like, I'm not stopping for anything. I mean, I've been creating professionally since the 90s. So I was like, this pandemic isn't going to keep me from creating. Yeah, and and I think we all appreciate even more so, like you said, the in-person things now, but that you can now you've discovered this, this other way to interact with people who potentially you would have never in, had an opportunity to interact with in a physical space really opens up, you know, the potential for even still the future for remote experiences and virtual experiences and then maybe eventually coming together in person. So really kudos, kudos to you, April. Oh, thank you. And and so, you know, we've touched on it a little bit, but then, you know, give us like, give us a little bit more about your, your background. Like how did you get involved in, in theater, the performing arts and, and all that? What, what got you into this and how did you get from there to now? Well, I was born into it. My mother was a ballerina. She danced with Ballet West and some other companies in Tennessee and was my first dance teacher. I made my stage debut at three years old, singing and dancing to I Want to Be a Perfect Little Angel while ripping the sequence off my tutu. I was that kid, but I always begged my mom to do theater, that I grew up myself and my my five siblings, we all grew up dancing. And I was the one who was like, mom, I want to do theater. Like, it's okay that I can do this dance thing, but like, really, I want to do theater. And she'd be like, extra ground butt match for you, young lady, get back to the bar and then help and help me find some, some theater. So I started performing very, very young. And I always, I always knew that this was something that I had to do with my life. I just there, there was no other option for me. I just knew it. Like I had to create. It's just a part of who I am. I'm also a neurodivergent. So the way that I interact with the world is often a little bit different. And the arts have really helped me in other elements of my life, such as educational elements and like social interaction. So this is just such a, a deep, deep part of who I am as a, as a being, as an organic being in the, in the universe that... I knew I needed to do this. So I started working professionally in the 90s. I always say when SAG-AFTRA were two different unions, long time ago. And it wasn't because I had my mom pushing me because there was a little like, oh, are you sure this is a really tough industry to be in? But I was always driving that bus. Like, I need to be doing this and I need to get out there in the world. I first came to it through musical theater because I have that dance background, which really has served me well all these years. And then in my teens, started doing TV and film. And I've just continued to grow from there. I've been an actor, dancer, singer for basically my entire life. Uh, I also am now a director. I came to that a little bit later because I thought, oh, I'm, I'm not a director. I'm really an actor. And I'm one of those actors who loves to like dive very deep into the role and will come to the director and be like, so I have questions and thoughts. Can I talk them out with you? And finally had one director say to me, I think you're a director. Maybe you should, Maybe you should check that out. So I just kind of like, I've never had formal training as a director. I just started using all of my background as a performer, as an educator, and and molded that into my director's process. I'm also an intimacy coordinator. So that is a newer role that we started seeing really 
more in the in the world or more outward facing or people becoming more aware of what it is around 2016 post me too movement which essentially is i'm the person who's there to advocate for actors who have very delicate or difficult scenes so involving intimacy touch levels of undress and to make sure that the actors are advocated for and that everyone the director's vision is brought to life in a way that is supported and empowered for for everyone involved. And then I'm also an educator. And I started doing that because I needed to find a day job that was not waiting tables. Because that was terrible. I worked in Times Square in New York. It was the worst. And so I found teaching. And at first it was just like, a, hey, I've got this skill. Maybe I should, should teach it. And I fell in love with it. I didn't think I'd love anything like performing until I started teaching and like seeing those light bulb moments for my students and like seeing their growth really just made me so excited and passionate. And so that is kind of a little bit about me and my background, my journey. I've lived in all over the country. I've lived in Miami and New York and DC and LA and Chicago and Denver. So I've had the opportunity to to be a part of a lot of different cultures in, in our in our nation, which is cool, and bring that into the work that I do as well. Speaking of synthesizing all of your experience to, to help you, for being an actor and doing all these other these other aspects of of performing, in what ways has have those experiences informed you being a director? Well, I think for me, the biggest thing is the the way that I, I speak to and interact with actors is that I understand their process because I have been in their shoes. Most directors that I've worked with either as a co-collaborator, an associate director, an assistant director, or even an actor, many of them have maybe taken one acting class, but they've never actually performed on stage themselves. And so trying to translate what a director is saying into how the actor creates the process of like making that happen are two different things sometimes. And so I don't have to have that translation because I'm already coming in with an actor focus of I'm like, all right, I work with the Michael Chekhov technique and viewpoints. And so this is the language that I'm going to be using. And I'm really about like having the, the actors lead that process and having it be a much more organic process. So like, where, what are your thoughts and how can I help support you until bringing those into light? That was really useful and helpful. I think that having, you know, been a performer in this industry for so long that you end up working a million different jobs. And so having that like multitasking has certainly helped in terms of like, project management that is directing. But I think some people just think of it as the creative side. And I'm like, oh, the project management that comes with directing is a whole other, like that is a horse of a different color. And that has certainly prepared me deeply for that. So as I understand it, this is your first time working with Deerfield Family Theater. Is that right? It is. Yeah. So like, I'm curious to know like what brought you to DFT and... What is it like to also be launching our very first Theater for Young Audiences performance? Well, I think that I'm in a really, like, much like the pandemic, like, I'm in a great position because I get to make suggestions of, like, hey, what about this? Or how are we, how can we do something where we're interacting with the kids in the lobby? And, like, because it's never happened before and there's no protocol, everyone just goes, yeah, we can make that happen. So, like, I'm really lucky. In that sense, what brought me to DFT, I have to say that my interview was so lovely. It was it was a conversation about theater and 
theater for young people and the future of theater. And I feel like sometimes you you come into these interviews and and the the artistic team, the the producers are looking for very specific answers. But when I came into this interview, it was so open and and inclusive and welcoming and excited about where theater can and will go and the role that young people play in that that just made me go yep this is these are my people these are my people this this is a place the space that I need to be in and I'm I'm so grateful that the the producers and the board have, have trusted me with this inaugural event of their their first TYA production yeah, I mean, I I am like so thrilled that it's also like the musical is Fancy Nancy because my kid loves it. So like, I mean, just lucky happenstance for me. I was not involved in that decision making process whatsoever as a board member, but I'm really glad that's where we landed. It's so so excited to go. We have our tickets already, and for those who are listening, and just in case you skipped the intro to the episode, ticket links are in the show notes to buy tickets. So please go to the show notes and buy some tickets right now. It's okay. Come back. Okay, you're back now listening. So April, you know, you've okay. mentioned how you've traveled all over, that you've you were an actor before you were a director. I would love to know, as would our audience, like what were some of the favorite shows that you got to either perform in or direct or you had some hand in and why? Oh gosh. Okay. So I'm super biased, but my favorite show that I've ever directed is called Rover the Bear. It is a play that I wrote based off of bedtime stories my parents told me growing up. It is a children's play, and we did a workshop performance in 2018. And I, I mean, seeing that come to life, oh, it just brought tears to my eyes. And to see that, like, the care and the beauty of, of like, these the actors, the way that they, they brought these characters that had been living in my head since literal childhood onto the stage and to life and to see other kids get to experience the story that that my father made up for me was delightful delightful and we worked with these large-scale puppets so rover the bear was she had a, a puppet ahead of the bear on her arm and then there was a bat that came up and over her head and connected to her ankles and then she had a paw on the other hand and they were all made out of moving boxes because the premise of the play is it's a little girl moving from Texas to Alaska and dealing with the grief of loss of losing her home and trying to find her home in a new place. And so there's a there was a moment where the the boxes all turned into the puppets and these these different characters from the Alaskan wild that brought her on this journey of discovering what home really means to her and you know and reconnecting with her parents because of course blamed her parents for everything and to see these puppets and the delight on children's faces when that transformation happened ah such a joy such a joy so i'm like i said totally biased because this was a super meaningful play to me personally but i don't know i, I just really felt like it created such a i don't know a wonderful experience for everyone involved in me and the audience so yeah I, I think that's great. Yeah. So this might this next question might be impossible for you to answer purely as an audience member to like turn off your performer brain. Okay. But like I am curious, like when you do just get to sit back and enjoy a performance, if if you're able to, like without like thinking about all the things as an actor, as a director, like what have been some of your favorite performances just as an audience member, just sitting and enjoying? 
and why? Ooh, 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 ooh. Okay, there are so many, but the, the one that comes to my mind is the most recent revival of Oklahoma. So I think this is a show. It's Danny Fish's Oklahoma. I saw it in 2019 in New York prior to the pandemic, prior to the shutdown. So Oklahoma, I think it's a show many of us are very familiar with. I have been in Oklahoma a million times. I grew up watching the movie and I always kind of felt like, eh, Oklahoma, right? Like it's that old classic piece that like doesn't really relate to today. I tell you what, that production, the the way that they played with senses and technology in order to pull you into the story and to update it for today's world, stunning. It took my breath away. They were, they cooked on stage. So you were smelling chili and cornbread wow while they were performing and then they served it to the audience during the intermission so you could walk down it was at the the circle in the square theater you could walk down to the stage and get chili and cornbread to eat during intermission during the the judd scene in the in his shack in his home it was completely in the dark and we were in the dark for like 10 15 minutes and about five minutes in, they brought up, they had a, oh, a night vision camera that they, that someone came out and started filming the two actors interacting with one another. And they had a super close up of Judd and that started to get projected lightly on the back wall. So you had just gotten used to the dark, the darkness. And they even turned off for a couple of minutes. They turned off the exit sign. So you were in total black during this scene. So it became very quiet and like intimate and really closed in. And then when they brought up Judd's face, there was a moment where he had a single tear fall down his cheek when he was talking about his life and his relationship to the people in this town and what they thought of him and began as an audience member, making me ask like, who is the actual villain of the show? And what is this show really saying? And how how do we, you know, what does it mean to be an outcast and to accept people and be inclusive? And I mean, my goodness, the way that they did that show was so stunning. They rewrite the they rewrote the score. And so it had a bluegrass feel to it. And they had a band on stage. Like, ah, I just could go on and on and on about how stunning this was. And each musical number, they would step out and perform. Like Curly had a very like Elvis-esque moment during a during a performance. And like, so they would step out and like perform as if they were musicians at a concert and then step back into the world of the play. And the the dream ballet and act two was a contemporary dance number. And at one point they just had boots falling from the ceiling. I mean, stunning. And I was like, all right, that's it. I'm now, I'm now a fan of Oklahoma again. Like the most beautiful, beautiful piece of theater I've ever seen. And I loved it because I love when people deconstruct and reconstruct works so that we are, it's not like we're seeing the same thing over and over again. We're seeing it and we're seeing it through a new lens and a new light, which is part of why I love theater is that every time you go to see a show, it's different. And you start to take new lessons from it and, and new connections from it. And I hope that I'm, I'm bringing that to Fancy Nancy and to this iconic character that I know so many of us have just grown to love and grown up with. And what, is it, what does it mean to see Nancy in maybe a, a new way? First of all, what an incredible like picture that you painted and kudos to you 
director for bringing it back to the show <laughs> to try to get those butts and seats and get those tickets sold. But but like the way that you described that, like it, it does make me I was not planning for the interview to go in this way. But mm-hmm. it was it makes me think about the strike going on right now with SAG AFTRA. And a big mm-hmm. portion of that is like artificial intelligence and being able to capture the likeness and sound and everything of like these actors and scripts and being written by generative AI and all that. But I feel like we're a long ways off if it's ever even possible for artificial intelligence to do what you just described, right? So even if, even if the future, and I'm curious to know what your thoughts are on this, but let me first get mine out is even if in a future where generative AI is writing scripts or it's writing plays and we're just seeing images of like, like even like James Dean now is an actor again because they've kept, they've, you know, recreated him using artificial intelligence. I feel like there's aspects of the creative arts that are so human focused that like we're going to see more interest in like things like what you just talked about because that is going to be like if we want that human element that's going to be there for live theater and and I don't see that going away in fact the, in fact it might even make that more interesting to audiences to go see that now that everything else is just this mass produced artificial intelligence stuff what do you think about that Oof, okay so this is a big topic a big topic. So, so we have five. Uh, there's we a, have five more minutes. So <laughs> okay, fantastic. Let me see how I can wrap this up in five minutes. So first, I want to speak to this idea of like is theater going away and what that means. I mean, this has been around for thousands of years and it hasn't gone away yet. And I think it comes back to that idea I, I spoke to earlier, which is that connection of it's ephemeral. Like it happens in this one moment for this one group of people, and then it's over. Even if the same show happens the next night or even later that day, it's different. And that there is something about the the human element of people coming together and being on that journey together and connecting and being there in time and space and having that experience that is so unique that it will, I believe it will never go away. I do feel like we we are seeing some shifts that are happening in, in the theater and entertainment world, not only around AI, but coming out of the pandemic, like what does it mean to make art and, and how do we make art in, a, in a spaces that are terribly underfunded and we're seeing a lot of imploding of theater companies. And I think it's because they are they are losing connection to that human element and what it means to create for the people and 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 to to find that that humanity, which is also, you know, why I love working with the Chekhov, Michael Chekhov work as a director, because it, to me it, it speaks to the humanity of what is what is acting, what is performance, what are we living? And and using that to, to help inspire and create. And then in terms of AI, you know what? We call it artificial intelligence. But if we weren't feeding it hundreds of years of content that we already have, how smart would it actually be? Because it's using all of that to build off, which is what we do today as artists and as creators, that we are always coming from the place of standing on the shoulders of of the people who came before us. And that is what will happen after we're gone, that the people who come after us, the creators are standing on our shoulders and that each of us are just moving us, you know, further and further forward. And, you know, I think that AI is, is never going to have, like you said, that human element and without the human creation, then it's not, it wouldn't be the same. I don't know about you. I've used chat GBT to try to like come up with like different titles for projects. And it just isn't the same thing as, as what a human, a group of humans collaborating together 
come up with. And that's the lovely thing about theater is it can't be done alone. I can't do it by myself. I can't do it without the actors and the stage managers and the production manager and the direct, like, you know, the the designers and the the crew, right? Like we all come together to to build this thing and to give it as a gift to the audience. So I don't think, I don't think theater is going anywhere. I think that in terms of AI, it opens up a lot of questions around consent and boundaries. And I'm a big advocate for consent and boundary work as someone who comes from the the intimacy world. And I think that we need to to really dive into that deeper before any decisions can be made and 100% back the actors and writers and their strike. I mean, I don't think we're going to get better than that, but just because I like to ask all my guests this question, <laughs> we're going to ask you one more question. Okay. Uh, and that is assuming that somebody can go see a live performance. Is it okay to listen to the soundtrack before seeing the musical? Oh, I always say no, because you're going to compare. And and the thing about a musical is there's so much of the story that happens through the music. And I mean, of course, you do you, boo. If you feel like you want to listen to that music, like, do it. Like, listen to that music before you come in, but be prepared for it to be different and to be surprised. And there, there is a difference in the way that we process something that we see, hear, feel, right? And so if I'm just listening to the musical, the music, even if the actors are doing a wonderful job portraying that through their voice, the character and the context, it's never going to be the same as being in the theater. And so I always say, you know what? Leave space to be surprised. Let it sweep you away in, in the moment, because that's what we're there to be do to do, right? We're there to be swept away. Yeah, yeah, and 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 even like even musicals like Hamilton, where like ninety nine percent of it is singing, so like you're not going to mm -hmm. miss that much by listening to the soundtrack. Like I, you could, first of all, you couldn't even see it, so like that was your only option, right, for a long time. Yeah. But when I when I went to see that in person. It was a totally different. My favorite song had totally changed because mm -hmm. of the live performance aspect of it, right? So I think that, uh, that yeah, what you're saying, yeah, has, has a lot of value there. And Absolutely. also for our musical, come see it if you haven't listened to it yet. That's okay, right? That's okay for, yeah. for Fancy Nancy. If, if we've caught you early enough, let that first time be. Go buy your tickets right now and let that first time that you hear that music be be live watching our show. Absolutely. And if you are familiar with the, the music, if you've listened to it a million times, come and, and see it in a new light. Yeah. Yeah. So if people wanted to learn more about you, April, or follow up with you, you know, where could they where could they find you? Where could they get in touch? You can find me at my website, which is aprilsigmund.com. It sounds like Sigmund Freud, but it's spelled A-P-R-I-L-S as in sunshine, I as in ice cream, G as in girl, M as in Mary, A as in apple, N as in nancy.com, aprilsigmund.com. All right. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me and, and taking some time to talk about theater. And that's our show. Please share this podcast to help support the work of Deerfield Family Theater. An even better way to support DFT is to go see Fancy Nancy the Musical. Visit DeerfieldTheater.com to purchase tickets. As always, links are in the show notes. Follow us on social media and subscribe to our podcast on your preferred listening app to never miss an episode. Until next time, thanks to everyone who continues to support the arts. We'll see you at the theater.